Welcome to All About Almodovar, an introduction to loving the films of Pedro Almodovar. And aren't they sometimes real easy to love? Ugh. <laughs> I'm Inga Kang, a critic at The Hollywood Reporter. And today, I need to know all about my co-host, Slate Podcast producer Daniel Schrader's new beaded curtain obsession. Daniel, what's going on? Oh, God. I don't know if I really even should talk about this because my therapist and I have already had a long conversation about this bead curtain. But um, I, ever since watching Women on the Verge, have been inspired to make a bead curtain myself because Peppa has a beautiful one in her apartment. And so ever since watching that, I just couldn't get a bead curtain out of my head and I needed one. And so I actually have a perfect place for one in my apartment and uh, have then now spent the last month or so kind of designing what it would look like with Almodovarian imagery in it. I love how the third co-host of this podcast is your therapist. Uh, she is. She's great. I love her. <laughs> last episode, we discussed 1990s Time Me Up, Time Me Down. Today, we're jumping 12 years to 2002's Talk to Her and to a very different Almodovar era. Thank God. <laughs> One of the director's best-known works and probably his most unabashedly sensual film, Talk to Her heralded a new era of emotional maturity and narrative sophistication for Almodovar. It's also the second of four back-to-back -back masterpieces that sealed his reputation as a world-class auteur, starting with my favorite, 1999's All About My Mother, continuing after Talk to Her with 2004's Bad Education, and ending, I would argue, with 2006's Volver. Talk to Her got Amadovar the Best Original Screenplay Oscar, which is both fitting and funny because the film does masterfully tell a novel story that couldn't come from anyone else, and yet it's pretty apparent from the very first scene that the feature is so much more than its script. So, Daniel, what happens in Talk to Her? And also, just before we begin, as a film critic, I have to tell you to watch the film Cold first. I couldn't agree more. I had the best time watching it last night, not knowing a single thing about it. So Talk to Her opens on a Pina Bausch performance of Café Müller, where we see Benigno, played by Javier Camara, and Marco, played by Dario Grandinetti, who are seated together by chance. And we and Benigno watch as Marco sobs through the dance. Uh, the film quickly moves back and forth in time, and we find out that Benigno is a nurse caring for Alicia, who's a woman that's been in a coma for four years. Uh, she's a dancer. And Marco, at the beginning of the film, develops a relationship with a bullfighter named Lydia, who, after a tragic bullfighting accident, slips into a coma herself. She is transferred to the hospital where Benigno works, and that is where he and Marco cross paths again and develop a friendship, a really beautiful friendship. And during their time together, Benigno explains to Marco how he ended up caring for Alicia, a woman that he has, turns out has been obsessed with since he saw her dancing at a studio across the street from his mother's house where he lives before she slipped into this coma. The film then plays out as these two men who are very lonely and uh, whose main relationships are with these women who cannot talk to them and can only lay there as dead bodies basically and who they don't really know at all um 
until things happen and beautiful tragedy occurs. So <laughs> we both watched the film last night and I feel like we both had really strong reactions to this movie. What was yours, Daniel? Oh, all of them. I had all the reactions to it. I think that <laughs> this movie, more than anyone we've seen so far, has pulled every Almodovar emotion out of me. I think I have felt a piece of all of his work in this, up to this point, of, of what we've watched, at least. And though there was so much gut-wrenching tragedy, there was also a delightful amount of humor and a beautiful love story that by the end I was smiling from ear to ear. What is the love story for you that was so moving? Marco and Benignos. Yeah, it's very weird to have a story about two men in a friendship in an Almodovar movie. I did not know how to handle that. I was surprised that he... (laughs) I was surprised that such a good movie was so focused on men from him yes and also I feel like there are so many aspects of this movie that are a lie like I have been the sad girl at the party no one has ever come talk to me so that's a lie and also the idea that both of these men who are over 30 can make friends new friends also a lie but you know what I'm going to go with it what did you think of it after finishing it last night When I watch a movie that I'm just completely bowled over by, I have this like very physical reaction where my body becomes really heavy. I won't say comatose because that's a bad taste, but I just can't move for like a while. And so when the credits ended and I was still sitting there, I didn't want the experience of watching this movie to end. So I just rewound and like watched the credits all over again because I was like, this movie cannot end. No, I I never wanted it to end. I <laughs> I was actually so excited to wake up again this morning and watch it again. I had a great time seeing it twice and it it informed a lot seeing it a second time. I understood a lot more of the extra pieces that were going on. But um yeah, by the end of it I I had a I had a physical reaction myself where I was so excited. I like had to express my like joy by basically jumping out of my chair and kind of I can't even explain like my, <laughs> my like physical reaction, but it was for you Ingu, it was this. <laughs> so yeah. But let's talk about the movie. Yeah. Uh what did you like about it? What Made you do that rictus face that you just did for me. I I loved that it ended on the beginning of a new love story. I love that it ended um, with hope because so much of this movie is full of sadness and tragedy and loss, uh, whether that's physical, emotional, whatever. But to then get that moment of there's something after this was very moving and hopeful in a way that I don't know if I've felt as hopeful about any of his other work yet. Interesting to say after all about my mother, but okay. (laughs) I, yeah, well, 
All About My Mother was the one that kept coming to my mind during this so much because they are so similar in their tone in a lot of ways and in the their sophistication. I think you mentioning that like this is the second of four masterpieces in a row is so clear. It He has really grasped his voice at this point, especially after you and I tried to stomach high heels. Like, this was such a relief. I, I think in relation to, like, another movie that we have discussed before, I have talked about how one thing I didn't like about Law of Desire was that it felt a little callow, a little juvenile. And I think that what I really like about this movie is that it takes that primal Almodovarian template of romance, which is basically that you have these men and women, or sometimes men and men, who can't quite connect with one another at the same time. And it gives it this new resonance. And the resonance that I see is that there's this sort of, (laughs) like, tragedy of not being able to share beauty with the person that you're in love with. When we see Marco cry for the first time, it's both in relation to how beautiful the Pina Bausch dance show he's watching is, but at the same time he's crying because he really wishes he could see, he could share this experience with his ex. And in the movie's other big artistic set piece, when Brazilian legend Gaetano Veloso is singing Cucurucuru Paloma at this really nice-ass party I wish I would have been invited to, since apparently Cecilia Roth and Marissa Paredes were also invited to it. Oh, I loved seeing both of them. (laughs) You have Marco crying again, and again, it's this sort of feeling of, I am so transported by this experience, and I wish I was sharing it with somebody else. And I think that that's sort of a way for Almodovar to bring in two artists that he really admires, Pina Bausch and Gaetano Voloso, in this film and sort of have a reason for them being there. Because so much of this movie is about beauty and sort of the sadness of what happens when you can't actually share that beauty with the person that you love. That added like a new level of melancholy for me that really worked. Yeah, I think melancholy is what this film does best. It There's so much staring out of windows or into space longingly. <laughs> but the movie it made me think of wasn't Law of Desire. I kept thinking about Atome. Um, I kept thinking about Time Me Up, Time Me Down. Because it was like he finally did it right this time. In a way that like Atome... There were so many times in this film that I was reminded of the icky, creepy, disgusting feeling I felt during Time Me Up, Time Me Down. But he managed it so much more deftly here that it never felt as horrifying as it did in that film. And it also, he never lingered on it too long. I feel like I I felt bad watching this movie because I felt like... I had told you what was coming with the reveal that Benigno has so fallen in love, quote unquote, with Alicia that he rapes her and accidentally impregnates her. Did you not see the rape coming? I I did, but I think I would have seen it coming even if you hadn't told me. I think what surprised me, honestly, was that we didn't see it. 
that was, I think, partially a relief to me because he has shown us those in so many of his other films. Like we've seen in we've seen in Atome, we've seen in Peppy Lucy Baum. I believe it also happens in like The Skin I Live In. There are some very aggressive rape scenes that it would have detracted from the film if it had been there. It would like that's not necessarily what this film is about in a way. I feel like you almost don't need to see the violation because you see so many signs of other tiny pieces of violation where no one steps in that you can sort of feel that violation all along. I saw this movie for the first time when I think I was in college. And I that was like a very different, I feel like, gender dynamics era. And I remember being extremely surprised that Benigno was a rapist, that he had raped Alicia. But re-watching this, knowing that that twist was coming it felt so obviously telegraphed and so obviously what was sort of inevitable because of the sort of like low-grade ickiness of this man who's like psychopathy like no one really wants to see that right by which I mean they all want to believe that he just is this preternaturally kind man And I think that's a lot of like where this power of the movie comes from, because it's so obvious that it's a little weird that other people don't want to see it. Well, and it's interesting because he even views himself that way. So one of the less good things I feel like I have gotten you into in our friendship is 90 Day Fiancé. And this movie made me think (laughs) so much of 90 Day Fiancé. Because 90 Day Fiancé, one of the reasons why I cannot stop watching this terrible, like, probably really immoral show. Probably? Is that that there are so many of these men who get into these quote-unquote relationships with women from other countries. The 90 Days comes from the fact that, like, it's named after a visa where if you are going to marry this other person, you have 90 days for them to like come to the US and then you have to get married within that window. I swear to God, if this is your backdoor pilot for a 90 day podcast, I'm out. (laughs) And so many of these men and women who have relationships with people they primarily know via text, like it's all this like one sided relationship. And they are projecting whatever the hell they need to onto that person to convince themselves that they're in love with that person. And that's exactly what Benigno's situation is. It's what all of their situations are. It's, it's even what El Nino de Valencia's situation is. Lydia's ex. Lydia's ex, who's also a bullfighter, who in the beginning of the film, we get this great scene featuring Loles Leon as a TV, like Ricky Lake type interviewing God, I love this scene interviewing Lydia about this man El Nino de Valencia and she's just like stop it no and like don't ask me about it and uh Lolis is like uh-uh you're not getting off this couch and he's literally like holding her arm and tugging her back on camera <laughs> so that she can't get away from these questions it's a great moment but it does um speak to this fact of like he and Lydia had apparently reconciled a month before like the bullfight where she went into a coma, but it seems like he's only able to love her now because he, she can't respond to him. She can't talk back. She is, he's there. She doesn't there. need him. 
Right. One of the things I really love about this movie is that, well, first of all, the actress who plays Lydia Rosario Flores, who is actually a singer, is amazing in this movie. She is there for maybe like the first half hour of the movie, but you can feel her absence afterward throughout. And Almodovar has one of the most beautiful sequences that he's had in any of his movies where you get these like very slow close-ups of her bullfighter outfit being put on. I think first you see bright pink rose embroidered socks that Mm -hmm. go all the way up to her knees. There was one shot of her jacket and you see beads and sequins and gold embroidery and buttons. And you see these like beautiful embroidered pants and and she has like a valet. She has like someone who is dressing her and the valet like really has to work hard in order to put this outfit on as it's so in a way that like it actually fits. It's very much what you would see in like a royal costume drama. And Almodovar is clearly celebrating the beauty and the camp potential of this like very macho, very hyper-masculine national identity. And I think one thing I really love about these characters is that with Lydia and with Marco and with Benigno, they all have these elements of gender fluidity. Not that, like, they themselves are gender fluid, but you have Marco, who is, like, this, like, very macho guy, and he also will, like, cry at the drop of a hat. Benigno has some Norman Bates elements that we can definitely get into. But I think the person, the character that this is most successful with is definitely Lydia, because of this bullfighting outfit, and because... As much of a surrogate son she kind of is to her father, because it was actually her father's dream of becoming a bullfighter. And in the end, she is basically a cousin of Peppa from Woman on the Verge of a Breakdown. She spends like a lot of her a lot of her scenes in the movie waiting for her ex to call. And when he sends a surrogate, she's like, no, 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 he needs to come back because I need to talk to him. And then she sees a snake in her kitchen and basically screams and run out, runs out of her house. And so I love this character. Yeah, she's great. I, I really enjoyed her as, as an actress. I forgot how much I liked her by the end of it because like there's so much that happens and you meet so many people. And it's interesting that like she has such a depth of personality when Alicia, the other woman, has none at all even when she's woken up again. And not, that's not a knock against her. I think it's partially just how she's written as a character of that she is kind of this empty space for Benigno to apply his own emotions to as opposed to someone with depth herself because he was never interested in her actual depth. He was interested in what he saw as her depth. He knew like three things about her and he completely blew them totally out of proportion where she's basically this like early 20 something girl. And she's like, you know what I think I'm into right now? I think I'm really into like silent movies. And then he goes and watches silent movies for like the next four years because (sighs) he thinks this is her personality. Like we even get a silent movie in this movie, which is fucking wild. 
let's talk about the silent movie. I loved it. I it was <laughs> it was crazy, and I didn't know what I was watching, and I was just like, oh my god, I. I wasn't expecting any of this because I also, the first time I watched it, missed what the title was of the film. The Shrinking Man. Yeah, I totally missed that. And so I didn't really fully understand what was going on in the silent film until he started getting (laughs) smaller and smaller. And at first I was like, oh, he's skinny now. Good for him. And then I figured out what was actually (laughs) going on. So it's about this woman scientist who invents a... Again, another little bit of gender play in the movie within the movie. Played by Paz Vega. Yes. um, and she is she develops this like serum to help shrink her man because he's overweight and maybe wants to be a little slimmer or something. But then it turns out to be an actual shrinking serum that makes him smaller and smaller and smaller until one day he uh, leaves her and goes back to live with his mother, which is very Almodovar. And so then after working for a cure for... Who knows how long she then finds his mother's home, which he did not tell her where that was, takes him back, and then he decides to explore her naked body as a miniature until he happens upon her vagina and decides to dive in, never to come out again. (laughs) It's crazy dark in the best way. So one thing I really love about her vagina is how crazy fake it looks. Oh, it looked like I was it looked like we were at like a human body theme park. Yes, except like all of her like labial folds uh, look like it was made out of sponge that's encased by like nylon or something. And she has this like very astroturfy pubic hair, although I also appreciated that there was pubic hair. I did not appreciate that there was no fucking clit. But that also speaks to basically Benigno's worldview and this more older worldview where like the woman is like her vagina. And if you will recall, the when the shrinking man goes inside his lady's vagina. He does not get her consent. She is asleep. And I was like, ooh, foreshadowing. Yeah, and he is telling her, like, he Benigno is recounting this film to her while he is washing her, and it's somewhat clear that this might be the night that he impregnates her. And then everything is just downhill after this silent film for him. That's interesting. I didn't consider that. I love all of the bathing scenes in this movie. How do I get somebody to do that to me? How do I, can I hire somebody (laughs) to just like, I can lay in bed and they can wash me? Because that sounds great. I I love how Benino says like, I I did it for my mother for years and not because she was an invalid and not because she's crazy. Just because she was a little lazy. I'm just like... (laughs) Who among us? Seriously. But one thing we learn is that not only does he have a nursing degree, but he also has a degree in something called beauty therapy, which is basically him learning how to do the hair and like the makeup of comatose patients, essentially. And Alicia is wearing makeup in like a startling number of scenes, which is like another way we know something is off here. But I feel like the bathing scenes are such a nice parallel to Norman Bates' shower scenes, where Norman Bates is this very aggro guy uh, when he is in the guise of his mother. And with Benigno, 
he's gentle. He's souping her. He's extremely careful. He wants to make sure like the doors are closed. She doesn't get cold in case there's a draft in the hospital. Also, this is like the most beautiful hospital that has ever existed. And I really love all of the spectacle of male gentleness until obviously we get to the rape. But it's just another instance of of the idea that like, Men can be tender. Men can cry. It's just that they have to also learn what boundaries are. Yeah, I think this is another piece of Almodovar's continued work toward figuring out how much women should trust men, if at all. (laughs) I also love that, again, I feel like Almodovar is really obsessed with subverting this idea of woman or a mystery. And in one of like the grossest lines that, of course, Benigno tells Marco extremely with no trace of irony, women are a mystery, but particularly so in this case, or something along those lines, meaning like when they're comatose. And it's like, no shit, dude. But I'm glad that you understand that like they are a mystery to you because they cannot talk to you. Well, and when uh, they put both Alicia and Lydia out on the patio together, wrapped in all of the blankets and the sunglasses. Uh, The best shot in the movie. Benigno even says, what do you think they're talking about? Or something like that. He's like, they look like they could be talking. Um, Do you think they're talking about us? Do you think they're talking about us? Yeah. Benigno has never heard of the Bechdel test. No, of course not. Um, But it's this very sweet moment of innocence on his part. Because he is so clueless about women, even though he, even though when there's one moment where Marco's like, but what do you, like, what experience do you have with women? What experience do you have? Because he's talking as if like he understands how to, how they work and how much of a mystery they are and how to manage that mystery. And Marco asks him like three times, how do you know this? And his answer is just, well, I lived with my mother for 20 years and then this one for four. And it's like, (laughs) okay, but like, those are two very specific types of women relationships and you don't actually know what women are like. Yes. It's tragic for him, but it's interesting to me how Almodovar uses that, like, that innocence is, can still be malicious. Yes, it's a very dangerous innocence. And because he also has been telling this story about himself, about how he's harmless, he can't really conceive of the fact that he might also be dangerous. Yes, he doesn't think that even when he sexually violates her, he doesn't even think of that as a violation. He thinks that like this is an act between two people in love because he just does, he has written onto her whatever he wants as opposed to finding someone himself. So I feel like this is essentially a text that like if you were going to teach it in like a college class, like on gender studies or something, you can talk about sort of like the benign misogyny of Bendigno, right? Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, Almodovar absolutely wants you to sympathize or like feel bad almost for Bendigno. And he even has a line somewhere where Benigno has been such a good caretaker for Alicia that he helped her awaken, which at first I thought, like, that's a stretch. 
But in I saw like an interview that Almodovar did where he said exactly the same thing. And I was like, oh, you want us to actually believe this. And I do have to say that as much as I think that this like movie is this really well done slow motion car crash where you're just like waiting to get to that collision. I don't know if I particularly felt the sadness for Benigno that I was supposed to. And it sort of did piss me off toward the end that, like, even though Marco's friendship with Benigno is supposed to be very touching, it was just sort of like another, like, bros for bros thing that, like, ended up kind of pissing me off. I I, I got to disagree with you. I, okay. I thought that his and Marco's relationship by the end, I was so moved by it. I wrote down in my notes halfway through this film, which I maybe don't agree with anymore but i did write down halfway through that except for his creepy parts benigno is my favorite character yet <laughs> wait like of all Almodovar movies yeah because he's like there is this beautiful sad sweetness to him in a lot of ways that like the tragedy is the innocence and the lack yeah. of understanding through that innocence of what he's actually done and that it seems like he still has never actually been able to understand what he's done even by the end that like it just broke my heart and that I don't think that Marco is ever okay with it or ever he understands what's happening because he has had more experiences with women than just his mom exactly and so he is it in turn, heartbroken by the lack of understanding that Benigno has about all of this. And so his love for his friend isn't isn't saying that he agrees with or supports what Benigno has done, but an understanding that like Benigno has nobody else and that he is just this lone island of innocence who doesn't understand even what has never fully grasped what he did wrong. And so the tragedy is in that as opposed to something else. I, it's gross for sure, but I was more touched by the end of it than I was discomforted, even though there were numbers of times when I felt that way. I think Benigno is an innocent, but he's not guileless. So there's a scene where Alicia's father, who is a psychiatrist, comes by the hospital, wants to check on his daughter, and basically is discomfited by the fact that here is this one former patient who who came to see him one time, and now is caring for his daughter. And he's basically like, so are you gay or straight? And Benigno says that he's not really sure, but he like leans more toward men or something. And he totally told him that so that like the father would no longer be suspicious of him. So I don't think he's like 100% pure. He's not like no. a child. No, but he's, I, I would say he's aware he's just mostly of, a child. Yes, he's aware of the why the question is being asked. But his offense at the question isn't that he is or isn't gay, but is that the implication is that he would do something bad to Alicia, which he never could imagine himself doing, even though his idea of what bad and what doing bad to her is, is so warped. One thing I find really hilarious is that 
Almodovar in like every interview I have read of his in this book that I'm reading called Almodovar on Almodovar complains about how journalists try to pin a character in each of his movies on him saying, oh, that's you. And so for this movie, yes, it's very annoying. Um, and for this movie, people have attributed him to be Benigno. Which <laughs> I mean, I think there's like- no other yes obviously <laughs> yeah but also how fucking offensive <laughs> well yeah but it, it it sure it could be offensive but i also think like well i i never trust artists talking about their own art but um Fair. like he just doesn't want to admit that that's who he is like dude this guy is living with his mother has like his deepest con- female connection is with his mother look around the room who the fuck else could it be okay <laughs> but no, I, I I get that, and I don't think like it's not good necessarily to uh, find like all of the well this character. Oh, I think that one's that one's more the Almodovar character. That one is. I think what I the game I like to play more is that line is the Almodovar line, or like that is the thing that he says or he's thinking, as opposed to the oh that character is him. Which line here? Like, well, there's one scene, and I actually, I sent it to you over Twitter, uh, uh, Twitter DM beforehand, but there's one line while he and, while Benigno and Marco are in the prison, which I would love to talk about those scenes, where Benigno is recount, is talking about having read the travel guides that Marco had written and had give, gifted to him, and specifically talking about Cuba and this one woman in a scene in the book in Cuba. And so the line that he says to Marco in prison is, I thought that woman was me. And that is just, to me, the line of Almodovar, like looking in the mirror and saying that about the women that he writes. (laughs) So I think we can agree that this movie is nowhere near as funny as All About My Mother. And I think this movie is the point at which his work turns a lot more somber. You're making a face. See, I disagree because I think there are some like really brilliant moments of humor. They just come from a very specific pocket of this film. Yes, but they're not like laugh out loud is what I mean. And so I think beginning with Talk to Her, you get this like much more serious, more art housey version of Amadovar. But I think he also obviously has these like very weird, sly little lines that give his movies like some levity and also a sense of reality because I just personally think that in order for a movie to feel like life there has to be like some humor in it well and I think it's that's a key to the puncturing of the discomfort and the puncturing of the melodrama at times like when Benigno encounters Alicia coming out of the shower and as soon as he leaves and she's still processing that violation, her dad's secretary or um, her dad's like physician's assistant comes out of the bathroom, gets on the phone and immediately says, hi, Lola, I just took the biggest dump or whatever it was. <laughs> I think the line was an elephant sized dump. Yes, that's what it was. And uh, then you also have the moment where like Marco is walking by Alicia's room and Alicia and like he opens the door and sees her splayed out there naked and her eyes open in this very creepy, terrifying way. You're like, oh God. And then, but then immediately 
as he walks away from that alarming scene, you have both of the healthcare workers, Benigno and uh, the other woman working with him, kind of immediately pierce that as well, where he's just like, oh, her her eyes are open again. This is creepy. And then he's like, what about when she yawns? And she's like, oh, I shit myself. There's a lot of like... (laughs) There's a lot of shit humor in the uh, and very like body humor, I think, from the medical staff, which I think are the main sources for comedy in this film. And I think part of that is the medical staff are the vehicles for humor because they have lived with and witnessed so much tragedy and so much pain that like this is how they cope. And the death and the sadness are mundane to them. And so, like, they find humor in in other mundanity of their lives in the hospital. And I think that gets to what I want to know, which is that I think a lot of his humor comes from the fact that there is this very matter-of-fact response to these, like, extreme, almost melodramatic situations. And I think one thing that, like, is really remarkable about this movie is that you can see all of the care and all of the labor it takes to take care of, like, even these people who can't really move. Mm-hmm. And apparently it was, like, pretty hard to just, like, act in a coma because the actress who plays Alicia, uh, Leonore Watling, apparently had to take a bunch of yoga classes in order to be able to, like, st- stay still for so long in her scenes, which I thought was really interesting. Well, having... Uh, done a turn in a high school musical as a dead body for an entire mm-hmm. for an entire play. Like I was on stage for most of the play as a dead body in a wheelchair, getting carted around. I fully understood like how impressive it was that she just like laid there and like l- didn't react and didn't do anything. There's one moment at like one of the first scenes where you can see her eyes moving just a little bit, and you're like, you should have done a, another shot, but whatever Uh, (laughs) but like it I really respected that because as someone who has had to sit in a chair in old man makeup um dead for a full 90 minutes like three nights a week for two weekends I get it I get it (laughs) I never thought it would have been possible for you to not talk for 90 minutes I mean I talked when I was off stage but (laughs) there was an intermission so uh, but yeah, anyway, I, 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 for all that she is an empty sieve for us to put our, for Benigno to put himself into, she was great at it. I had so many thoughts about Marco, like writer to writer. Like, number one, after watching so many fictional female journalists fall in love with their subjects, it was kind of nice to see the reverse. Number two, I thought after, especially after Benigno has committed suicide in prison, I could not help thinking, oh, this guy's going to write like a fucking great memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that he was reading The Hours <laughs> at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> also laughed. that? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> um, but uh, that reminds me, I did want to just touch on that final prison scene between uh, the two of them before we go, because that was the most moving scene of the entire film. All of the tragedy was worth it for that moment, which is when when Benigno says that he just wants a hug 
from Marco. and Because he he's wanted, had so few. He's had so few, and he considered putting Marco down as his boyfriend so that, like, he could come in and get this physical contact, but didn't know if, like, Marco would be okay with that. And Marco was like, of course, yes, I would love that, et cetera, et cetera. And it's this beautiful moment of these men recognizing that they are in a relationship, whatever that relationship is. And it's not that they are in a, like, romantic relationship, but that, like, friend, like friendly intimacy like this can run that deep. And that relationships between men that are not solely based on, like, a love in a physical sense or in a, like, romantic sense can be just as heartbreakingly deep. I think it also speaks to this idea that men, straight men, are socialized to find connection in a romantic way. But I think you're right, because men are socialized to primarily seek connection with a romantic partner, they sort of do themselves this disservice of finding out what they might have in common with other men um, and sort of enjoying the tenderness of other men outside of a sexual sphere. Well, and that this tenderness develops because the women that they are in their lives aren't watching and that like aren't there mm. to like absorb whatever that is like there there is some sort of freedom there i don't know what it is and um haven't thought enough about that but i think that's part of it too let's do rankings all right let's do it so i had to really 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 think hard about this i could not believe after I watched talk to her yesterday that I had given myself the task of ranking talk to her against all about my mother. I think ultimately I came down on all about my mother still first, just because I think that there are still things here that I'm not quite convinced by, mostly to do with Benigno. So I'm going to say all about my mother, talk to her, woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown, law of desire, and then Tie me up, tie me down. I adored this movie. I thought it had everything I wanted and more. I went to bed last night wondering, like, where does this fit in my rankings? Because it, I kept thinking, like, oh, this is better than All About My Mother. There were so many moments when I had that thought cross my mind watching it. And so after waking up this morning and having slept on it and having a really weird dream that I don't really remember, but it felt very, like, the vibe waking up from it felt very, like, I just had an Almodovar dream, was... Um, Talk to her is first, followed by Women on the Verge, followed by All About My Mother, and then Law of Desire, and of course, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Um, so I have some news. Uh-huh. The essay that I wrote for the Criterion Collections Parasite uh, edition is now online and also obviously in stores within the DVD. So if you would like to check out what I have to say about Parasite, I personally think it's a pretty good essay. Check it out and we should do our sign off. Well, if you have any thoughts on the show, you want to write us an email, let us know what you think, how we're doing, what movies you're mad we're not covering. We'd love to hear from you. It's allaboutalmodovar at gmail.com. Next week, we're going to talk about 2004's Bad Education, another movie I've been very excited for Daniel to watch. A movie that one of my Slate colleagues said will turn me gay again. <laughs> we are going to have a very special guest, so stay tuned. Thank you for joining us at All About Almodovar. This is Ingu Kang. 
This is Daniel Schrader. And we will see you next time. It's not a, how a kiss should work, unless I'm bad at kissing, which from experience, I'm not. So, From your experience of kissing yourself. Yep, exactly. Well, no, <laughs> kissing the comatose body I have in the other room. Uh. <laughs> Come on, that was a good one. Come on. <laughs> Too soon.